Hello and welcome to episode two of the Shoot Hub podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs and I'm joined by Digby Taylor who looks after all the shoots and estates that are listed on Guns on Pegs, basically all things Shoot Hub. Uh, Diggers, how's it going? Yeah, all good. Thanks, George. Um, recording this just a few days before Christmas, so winding down from a work point of view and gearing up from a social and Christmassy point of view. Um, very much looking forward to it, actually. How about you? Yeah, well, much the same, really, much the same. Um, are, are you shooting between Christmas and New Year at home? We are the 30th of December, if I'm right. I always get my days modelled. I sort of rely on the family to do the organising and I just know where I'm going to be for that week and rock up on the day, if you know what I mean. But yeah, um, yeah. how about you? Well, yeah, the same. We're on the Saturday, which I think is the 31st, and it's it's more of a sort of extended New Year's Eve party um, that starts the shooting <laughs> and then finishes... 12 hours well no 18 24 hours later probably so um i don't yeah, know how you I'm, do it george i mean after a day shooting at home um we always find that we're so knackered by about six o'clock we're glad when everybody leaves at seven o'clock <laughs> well, just I'm, like <laughs> just collapse on the sofa and uh eat a bit no, of cheese and biscuits in the yeah evening. i mean there's no guarantee that everyone will still be awake at midnight i'm, I'm fairly confident yeah. of that very good (laughs) right so since this is only our second episode i think we better just give a quick explanation to first-time listeners as to what to expect um the shoot hub podcast is aimed at anyone who has got some sort of interest in the running of a shoot whether it's a knockabout farm shoot like the ones that digby and i have a diy syndicate big private estate or a commercial operation you could just be interested or you could be involved yeah and you could be you could be the owner of the estate you could be a keeper an underkeeper even a keen syndicate member or just someone interested in the behind the scenes the stuff that goes on putting a shoot day together um, we're going to talk about some practical stuff some pretty technical stuff at times but hopefully we'll provide some helpful tips and have a bit of fun along the way Yes, and because Digby and I, and I don't really have any particular expertise in this field, each episode we're going to have a special guest along, uh, an expert uh, in the subject and in their subject matter. So uh, without further ado, Digby, why don't you introduce our guest for this episode? Thank you, George. I am particularly delighted to introduce a good friend of ours at Guns on Pegs today. Um, we're joined by Will Horner from Cambrian Birds. Will manages the hatchery at Cambrian Birds, one of the biggest players in the game farm world in the UK for sure. Um, and when he's not doing that, he's organising the shooting over their five shoots. Pennell, Diffy Falls, I think that's how you say it, isn't it, Will? Dovey, uh, Diffy Falls. Dovey Falls. Dovey Falls. Falls. But oh, I'll, forgive you. I'll forgive shocker. your mispronunciation, Digby, that's fine. Oh, I've had that tsunami. Old Long Mountain, the Ridgeway and Kinnerton Sporting. Welcome to the Shoot Hub podcast and thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Digby. Thank you, George. Pleasure to Pleasure to be here. So where is, where does where does Diffy Fools Dovey Fools come from? Uh, so the shoot lies on the Dovey Estuary. So the mispronunciation comes from the fact that we went with the Welsh spelling D Y F I rather than the English spelling of Dovey because we thought we'd be respectful to our Welsh neighbours. So, but sadly we've had <laughs> Diffy, Diffy, and various other mispronunciations. So, uh, yeah, Dovey Falls, Dovey Falls. Oh, very good. Right, Will. Well, it's great to have you with us. Um, so. The way we're going to kick things off is to help our listeners get to know you a bit. Uh, We're going to go with some quickfire, either-or type questions. No thinking permitted, just say the first thing that comes into your head. So, uh, first of all, beating or picking up? Uh, I would have to say picking up with my two labs. Pheasant or partridge? Pheasant. Exmoor or Yorkshire? 
Uh, I'm from the South originally, so I would have to say Exmoor, though my mother is from Yorkshire, so she'll kill me. But yeah, <laughs> let's go for Exmoor. <laughs> Walked up or driven? Uh, I better say driven. Uh, labs or Spaniels? I think I know the answer. Definitely labs and black ones. Slow gin or dams and vodka? Slow gin. Roast pheasant or venison casserole? Roast pheasant. Wellies or boots? Difficult one. I'll go with wellies on the whole. Much easier to put on. Mm. Uh, England or Scotland? Oh, Scotland for a holiday, I absolutely adore. Uh, and it's away from work, so I'd actually probably say Scotland. There's a bit of a trend emerging here, isn't there? What about uh, what about fishing or shooting? I think that'll be a tough one for you, won't it? As much as I love my fishing, I better say shooting. <laughs> no, what do you actually think? <laughs> <laughs> Fishing is a bit more relaxing for me as a hobby, so uh, <laughs> but um, shooting's pretty good fun, so we'll go for shooting. And finally, football or rugby? Rugby. Had you said um, had you said fishing there, Will, we could have just uh, spent the next hour chatting about our fishing adventures rather, rather than we, shooting. We could have done, which I'm sure the <laughs> listeners would find far more enthralling than what I have to say about <laughs> shooting. But <laughs> no, very good. So were, were there any answers in there that you feel the need to justify yourself over? Um, well, as a proud Englishman, although I work, spend most of my time in Wales, so I must be pretty careful what I say, but um, uh, I've always always loved Scotland, and I do remember from your first podcast you had a similar answer. So, uh, um, yeah, love going up to the Isle of Mull on Scotland, so um, that's our, a real pleasure place for us. Um, other than that, I'm pretty pretty happy with all those answers, I think. Good. Right, let's crack on then. Um, so, Will, as we've already mentioned, you're heavily involved at Cambrian Birds. Um How's the season been so far? Season's been good. Yeah, we're uh, quite a few months in now, uh, ready preparing ourselves for January. Um, we've avoided the dreaded uh, bird flu. So from our perspective, that's been great. Obviously, very sorry for those that have suffered from it. Um, all the shoots are going well. Um, birds, are, birds are flying well. Guns seem to be leaving happy. Um, so I can't say much more than that, really. We're just ready for the final push. Very pleased so far. And what about your um, your shoot in Dor- Dorset? You mentioned you're a West Country boy, and I know uh, your shoot in Dorset has a special place in your heart. How's that been? It does indeed. Yeah, we had our second day on Saturday, and um, yeah, we had actually quite a remarkable day for um, poor old dad's been lumbered with the uh, gamekeeping duties this year, bless him. <laughs> but he's done a fantastic job, and um, we had a, a really, really fun day. We've got one day left uh, from our three, and um, it's been really good fun, really good fun. It's a... Uh, it's a busman's holiday, but a nice break from um, from the commercial side. So you said a remarkable day. Uh, what does that look like for, for your shoot? Uh, well, it was more so we've put far fewer birds down this year, but um, having put far fewer down, we shot a much larger bag than we might have anticipated. So um, it was a great success, shall we say. Come on, give us some numbers. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought you were going to really, really push me here, aren't well, you? So when I've asked you that, uh, I'm going to ask Digby how many he's planning on shooting on uh, the 30th. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> we managed to scrape together 145 and a crow. Oh, goodness me, not Crikey. such a little shoot. Yeah, which was a big surprise. The first day was yielded 73, which we thought was much more in line of where we should be. So I asked you after your first day and you said that you put fewer birds down and you were surprised to shoot 75. So how... Does that compare to a normal season? If you shot seventy five and one hundred and forty, that's two hundred and ten. Yeah, you must be pretty pretty pleased. Very yes, very. A normal year we would aim for more days, but averaging about one hundred and twenty. But we're doing fewer days, and um, 
a few changes and, and dad's done a great job. So um, I'm sure when this podcast goes out, he'll be delighted for a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> and the normal keeper, i.e. you, will be getting a sack. I I will be, uh, well, no, 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 because no, uh, I'm not, the, I'm merely the advisor from afar. So oh, um, I wouldn't want to be lumbered with the uh, with the title of keeper or given the privilege, I should say, the <laughs> title of gamekeeper in uh, our prestigious shoot. And, and Digby, come on, uh, the, when you come guys on, go Digby, out yeah. on the 30th, what's the, what's the target bag? I think if we shoot 20, I'd be absolutely delighted, but that will probably include a couple of squirrels, probably a fox, certainly a pigeon. Um, a few woodcock and maybe six pheasants or something like that. 20 would be an absolute delight. How about you, George? Yeah, I think we're going to be in a similar sort of bracket to that, maybe 30. Um, but I think we've got quite an inexperienced team of guns that day. So um, I actually volunteered to beat and I was told, no, George, you have to shoot because we haven't got enough. So, um, <laughs> And you're, you've had a season similar to Will, haven't you, this year, that you've yeah, put yeah, down we have birds we, and yeah. shot better than... Expected? Yeah, I think people have shot straighter this year than they normally do. Not sure why. Uh, but yeah, we ha- we normally shoot partridges um, and couldn't get any this year. So we released 500 pheasants and we've had some absolutely cracking days. We've been over 40 every time. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to we'll shoot what's left basically on uh, on New Year's Eve. Um, but it's been Very great. Nice. Um, well, the, the two styles of shoot, although you're uh, Dorset shoots not quite as small as all that but um, do any of the ways that you work at Cambrian Birds any of the things that you do translate across to you, your shoot or are they completely different beasts in that regard no absolutely I mean <clears throat> the simple care of game birds dictates that the two are uh, two are very similar we would be different at work in that we put more pressure on birds so we have to slightly adapt our feeding methods and I won't bore you with all those intricate little details but um the basic things are the same you know good care of birds happy birds good cover um and yeah it's it's i think since i've worked in commercial shooting it's um certainly changes your your approach to a farm shoot um you get rather more technical about it than um you know it always used to be that if you were stood down the uh, either side of the hedge leading away from the drive you knew you were in the the so-called hot spot <laughs> yeah uh, the honey the honey pot as some often call it um but we've um we've changed you know things how you look far more at can we spread the birds better and can we get people equal shooting and things like that which um when we started our little shoot that was very much at the the back of our minds um so um yeah the commercial shooting is obviously very um hopefully i should say very uh, slick uh, and the farm shoot has its wonderful rough edges, which is why we all love it so much. But um, the two actually are not as dissimilar, other than the bags are not that dissimilar. I was going to say, are you actually able to, on a smaller shoot like yours at home, spread the birds deliberately? Or how, you what would you what would you do to what would you actually what would that actually look like? Yes, you can. Yeah. So I now I changed from with my hosting role at work, I then changed at home to going out and, and hosting the guns. So you can maneuver the beaters and what few pheasants you have to try and spread them better, you know, flush them from different points and communicate better with the beaters on how to do that. Mm. Um, it doesn't always work because obviously you have far fewer birds to work with in general. Um, so you're trying to, sometimes you try too hard and actually it makes things go a bit, um, tits up, but, um, you know, not for want of trying, but um, yeah, no, it's possible. It is possible. It is possible. Mm. Interesting. And as a someone who's hosted and 
been involved in commercial shoots. I often think um, a smaller farm shoot looks at the commercial shoots and thinks, I would never be able to do it like that because we're only a small little farm shoot. What are What is the biggest single aspect you think farm shoots perhaps should pay more attention to that they might have thought previously, no chance we're too small for that, but actually is probably quite manageable? I would think there's two major things. I would think one is feeding, where feeders are sighted, how we feed. You know, traditionally farm shoots, we've all been there. You know, the night before the first shoot, all very excited. All of a sudden, there's straw everywhere. There's more, 10 times more food put down the night before and uh, expecting there to be droves and droves of pheasants the following day. In reality, actually putting more food down will probably probably relate to less pheasants in the drive uh, the following morning rather than more. So I think, I think feeding tactics are one. Um, the other definitely is just beating. You know, we've all been uh, you know, the lovely great excitement of a farm shoot when um, there's one I'm very fond of in Dorset um, which I won't name but every time a bird takes off our host blows a football whistle not to end the drive but just in such excitement of seeing a pheasant <laughs> yeah, uh, which is, is all very confusing as a as a gun on your first time because you keep unloading thinking the drive's over but actually it's just a <laughs> cock pheasant taking flight so I think feeding and beating tactics uh, you know actually trying to beat birds properly rather than just hell for leather spaniels everywhere um let's see what happens so i think you might have just described my shoes at home will (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to come down and give me some advice at some point (laughs) Uh, it's really interesting though Uh, another thing so this year you could this season i suppose you could describe as being the year of the duck with lots of shoots putting them down because of a lack of partridges and difficulty getting hold of pheasants um you took on Kinnerton Sporting a couple of years ago. Do you think people are changing their attitude towards Driven Duck this year, having sort of seen it in action? I think early on, I had quite a few conversations with Digby about this actually through the summer. Uh, early on, we were not seeing as high a demand for duck shooting as we thought. I think the reason for that's twofold is, is A, a lot more ducks out there, as you've have used to touch upon, George, and B, just the general stigma surrounding driven duck shooting or duck shooting of any kind in fact other than wildfowling um we have in the latter part of this season seen far higher demand for duck shooting um i'm hopeful that going forward with how things are going you know times are tough financially ducks are traditionally far cheaper to shoot um hoping we will see an increase in people willing to give it a go uh, because actually done right I don't know both of your thoughts on it, but personally done right, it's pretty good, you know, and it's, we've all grown up feeding ducks bread and things that we've picked up from Tesco and <laughs> other supermarkets are available. And, um, <laughs> and, um, but actually done right, it's, it's very good and very sporting. So um, I'm hopeful that people will give it a go because actually most people we see that are on the fence when they come on the whole actually walk away, at least they say on the day, um that was pretty good so what are some of the pitfalls to avoid then um for for a a shoot that's starting it starting duck shooting Mm, yeah if if there are people who are on the fence and you want we want to win them round and say it's actually it's better than it it might appear um what are some of the really key things to get right i think certainly the way we look to do it is that we're trying to closely replicate a a driven pheasant day or what we're traditionally used to as possible but using duck so Mm. we don't have any standing around ponds and 
screaming and shouting and scaring them off and all the things we've no doubt seen on uh, the, the lovely farm shoots we were talking about earlier. And in fact, probably some commercial shoots, I suspect as well. But I think the, the key is to just make it as, as tasteful to all as possible. And, and, and the way we do that is to feed the ducks away and, and then drive them back. So you're stood as if you were shooting a pheasant drive and the ducks then just appear. And very often you won't see a pond at all. And I think that's a really nice way of doing it. Um, not just kind of standing, shooting things, circling and trying to land. So I would advise you know anyone if they can, although we're lucky with full-time keepers, I appreciate part-time, it's a lot harder. But if you can, um, you know, just do it in a way that maybe guns can't see the pond. Or if you do need to flush them off the pond, how can we hide the guns behind a wood or behind a hedge or and the ducks just appear and then actually it all becomes all the more enjoyable i think and what does it look to feed them off you just got to put the time in and it's a daily routine of it's a daily routine yeah ducks are ducks are like any uh bird are very set on their routines so our keepers obviously feed you know every drive every day and the ducks are fed up to where they will eventually be driven from um much the same as pheasants go every day to their hoppers so um, but on a DIY shoot, if you're only going to feed once a week, it's much harder. So, um, hmm. but you go to some shoots and you think, oh, we could have just stood over there, or maybe we could have stood there and you can still flush them off the pond, but, um, it just feels all the more natural perhaps. Very interesting. Um, and, and Pennell's a new shoot in the, the Cambrian, uh, portfolio, if we can call it that. Um, how's that gone this season? Yeah. Pennell, we took Pennell on last year. Uh, we've grown again this year. Uh, it's had a fantastic season. Um, we've got a great head keeper there, Matt. Uh, he's done a fantastic job. Um, another shout out there. Goodness me. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it seems to be a shoot that shows the power of um, word of mouth because it's it's not one that we've necessarily spoken a huge amount about, um, but it seems to be well known. Um, it's a great shoot. Um, great mix of pheasant and partridge. It's very testing, so I'm sure you you and Digby would um, would uh, hold your own. Nail miserably, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great shoot. It's a great shoot, and we've got high hopes for it going into the future. Hopefully, keep expanding it. And um, yeah, I think it's it's one that um, should stand as well for a, a while to come. And um, I, I wanted to know. I've heard a few people talk about it this year. Um, word of mouth, as you said. Um, and they say that, that that you show you have one drive where the birds are genuinely out of range. I mean, not even figuratively out of range, genuinely out of range. How do you do it? And is that just because of the what people have been asking for? Was that uh, yeah? Why why do you do it, and how do you do it? I guess uh, I have to be very cautious on the phrase "out of range" here because it's um, I have to be very careful with that. I would say on the the edge of testing, shall we say? Testing, shall we say? Um, but um, we do have a drive. Yeah, I suspect the drive you're referring to is is what we affectionately refer to as humble pie. Mm, that's it. Um, <laughs> that's so, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's tickled George. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, look, as a shoot host and uh, uh, a man that works in commercial shooting and, and shoots that are renowned for showing high birds, I love it. You know, it's a great drive. There are birds in there which are, as you've said, Digby, uh, shall we say, quite extreme. Um, and there are birds in there which are doable but very difficult. Um, it's a bit of a showpiece. It's a drive. I don't think I've ever seen a drive on a high bird shoot divide the crowd as much as that one. Um, personally, if I was ever to shoot there, I would be begging for it. 
but uh, it can leave others slightly um, slightly broken, should we say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hence the name. And how do you do it? Is it is it just the topography that you're you're lucky to have the topography there, or are there other things you can do that perhaps are transferable to any old shoot? Uh, no, I mean you know, we're very very lucky with the topography, uh, particularly on that drive. Uh, they're coming; the birds are coming from a long, long, long way away. I mean, I would suspect from the guns, the birds would be anywhere from five to seven hundred yards mm. um, away in terms of in a straight line. I'm talking about not up in the air. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I hope not in height. <laughs> I'll just clarify that point there before everyone cancels all their days. Yeah, um, and. Um, yeah, and then the birds swing down the valley, but actually it's the swing on the birds, I think, as much as the height which causes the issue. And then just, you know, very good keepers have, have got the birds up there, but um, the topography really is doing most of the work. The birds are, are pretty much flying dead straight, flat, so they're having to put far less work in than they would on my little shoot down home, for example. Mm. That's really interesting. And it's interesting you say that it kind of divides teams because obviously you must get, uh, you must have a lot of teams through all of those shoots every season. So... Um, who are the trick, not, not asking to name names, but sort of groups, I suppose, <laughs> who are the trickiest customers to please? Who are, you're going to get me sacked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's very difficult. I'm probably going to skirt around this for the sake of my career, but, um, it's very difficult to please everyone with one shoot is what I would say. Uh, with our portfolio, we have a lot of guys who try every shoot and you may think a team will like one, then they prefer the other. Um, I would say the hardest teams to please though, would be those with the most, those with unrealistic expectations. So you do come across teams that, you know, have maybe hear of Pennell, shall we say, and come along for their 300 bird day and think that they're going to have 8,000 cartridges to achieve their, 300 birds and actually no that's 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 not going to happen mm. um i'm sorry to say um so but in general most guys are pretty good um i would say the only other time we maybe have a problem which i think would go for you know lots of the high bird shoots in wales yorkshire the southwest anywhere is um a lot of guys who maybe shoot very well on certain heights and then maybe come to us and struggle should I say, um, sometimes that can damage our male egos a little bit more than uh, we might admit, admit. So, um, that can be, um, fairly amusing at times, but also, uh, can make, make life a little bit tense. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny one. It's a funny one. Um, when you're showing these high birds, people come with such high expectations, but then actually sometimes the birds are harder than, than maybe they expected. Um, but equally on a tough weather day, the birds can be not as high as maybe they did expect. So, you know, it varies It varies day in, day out. Um, shooting so often, you're going to see the, the very best and the worst of as any shoot would throughout a season. So um, I don't know if I've skirted around your question there a bit. But... I think you've been very diplomatic. I'm quite impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so go on, name some names now, Will. Yeah. Hang on, we'll, turn the, we'll gonna... turn the mics off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I bet you will. I'm definitely going to uh, definitely going to skirt around that one, diggers. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now it's probably a, quite a good time to take a quick pause in the chat to do our regular segment, beating noise of the day. We're going to play a beating noise that one of our listeners has sent in, and then ask Will to name, classify, and rate the noise out of ten. So this was sent in by Tom, who wrote, 
Many a Yorkshire yarn could be spun about the noises beaters this neck of the wood make. However, on our syndicate, we have one drive where we all beat. The drive is a walk up a field on our way to a woodland drive, and we shoot as we walk. As three friends who met in the army, we have named the drive Advanced to Contact. Now, my two best friends are quite reserved, and let's say quieter gentlemen. They splutter usual beating, beating noises under duress, and I attempt to make them laugh with a multilingual bombardment of noise. Still, no birds flushed to us, unfortunately. So, George, play the noise. Ho, 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 well, I've heard versions of that, definitely, definitely. What a great one just before Christmas. Well, it, this this podcast doesn't just happen, you know. I mean, we do. Right. <laughs> so I had no doubt. <laughs> so, first of all, then, Will, we need a name. Oh, for- goodness me. Well, we've got to have something Christmassy in there, haven't we? Um, what do we call it? What do we call it? You're going to have to help me out here, I think. Santa's Revenge. Santa's revenge, yeah. Santa's <laughs> Santa's revenge. <laughs> I think you might have pit me there, George. I think um, Santa's revenge. I like that. I like that. I might cop out and go with yours. I think Santa's revenge. Diggers, you got any ideas? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not very creative. I wouldn't have come up with that. No. Let's no. go with George. George's creative one. Okay. Santa's revenge. I, I def- like that. It definitely has to be something Christmassy, though. Yeah, and I think for a classification, we're probably looking in a similar sort of field. So. So the previous one we had, obviously, was uh, the, the sort of pirate grouping of noises, the sort of R kind of noises. This is very much a ho, and it does feel like a um, like a Christmassy sort of grouping, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd absolutely love to be standing next to this uh, this chap on Boxing Day on the 26th when they um, were <laughs> trying to make his mates laugh again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could be fairly entertaining. I hope on his Christmas shoot he wears a uh, Christmas jumper and a nice red hat as he walks through the wood. Yes. Um, yeah. What a great, um, what a great noise. I've heard, uh, I've heard far more um, uh, enthusiastically bizarre noises in my time, but um, no, that's a great one. Nice and steady. You said oh, you wanted. Oh. Uh, well, you said earlier that farm shoots want to make their beating a little bit more professional. Does that count as professional or? I would. No, be careful what I say here. I would. I would say that part of the enjoyment for me on a farm shoot is the, and I'm not going to say unprofessional, I'm going to say the excitement of the beaters, because actually mm. for me, that's a real buzz. Um, yes, on our shoots, were we to have beaters, um, had it go ho, ho, ho. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and uh, all of the above, the traditional, uh, the traditional, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, on our shoots, we try and keep noise to a minimum. Um, but on a farm shoot, I was more referring to the, you know, the, the technicality of a drive. The, the excitement of um, the noises for me is just fantastic. And that's that what is uh, what makes them for me. Well, the bees so, have got to feel like they're part of the day, particularly when there aren't any birds to, to flush like they, there aren't uh, with us. So they've got to feel like they're doing something. There's nothing better. Actually, the other week I was out on a, on a farm shoot and... Um, and uh, 
my host for the day was um, under a huge pressure, of course, as we all put ourselves under chasing 20 pheasants. And um, I loved nothing more than watching him and his two kids uh, flagging endless blackbirds um, with great <laughs> enthusiasm as they left the maze, um, which does get uh, one's heart going. But uh, yeah, no, I would um, I would definitely keep as much enthusiasm on a farm shoot as possible in the beating line. It makes it all all, all the better. It's good fun. Okay, so with that in mind, so we've got Santa's Revenge in the Christmas classification of beating noises. So all we need now is a, a score out of 10. Do you want to hear it one more time? Yeah, go on. Let's hear it one more time. Ho, 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 ho. I'd love to know in what context he recorded that. Well, it doesn't yeah, sound I, like he's beating at the time, does it? No, yeah, no. There's, uh, I love the fact that it almost sounds like he's laughing to himself. There's a slight <laughs> undertone of <laughs> of chuckle in there as well. I like. Um, he's done it like on a break from work. He's just slipped off into the lose. <laughs> yeah, and he started off. He started. I think you're right there, George. Actually, because the first one is fairly mellow. The gentle ho, and then as he builds, he's building in confidence. Obviously, thinking that none of his colleagues can hear it. Um, I think, I think, I think I'm going to be a, I'm going to be very boring here and probably go for a solid seven, um, which I know is the traditional cop out. Um, only on the fact that I've heard some very, very enthusiastic noises in my time, and it wouldn't be fair to uh, put it on the same pedestal. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, thank you, Tom, from Yorkshire very much indeed for sending that in. If uh, you have a beating noise that you would like to like us to rate, you can send us a voice note via Instagram Messenger or on our Instagram account at GunsOnPegs, or you can send an email to pod at GunsOnPegs.com. Right. Yeah. So that's all very silly, isn't it? Um, But very, very good fun. Um, So let's try and get a little bit serious again. Moving on to the other side of what you get up to, Will, at Cambrian Birds, um, the hatchery side of things. Um, when does that all kick in for you? When when does work start on in terms of the new rearing season for you? Uh, so we keep a, a large number of overwintering hens. So we are actually processing those now. So our laying season effectively has started for next year. Um, in terms of the actual hatchery itself, we kick off with our first load of eggs, hopefully at the end of February, which are imported um and then in terms of our own breeding stock they would generally get going at the end of march we see the first eggs Uh, our hens are not under lights so they lay at the natural time Um, Mm. and then we run through first eggs hopefully end of february and we run through depending on the year normally till the middle of july this year was quite a bit later uh, for obvious reasons so we ended in ended hatching in august and um on our last podcast we had kenny nutting the game bird vet talking about hedging the risk when it comes to the supply of eggs have you guys at cambrian had to make any changes for the coming season to avoid those problems to you know hedging those risks uh yeah so we've um we've kept a, a larger number of overwintering hens yeah. than normal uh so we've got a supply and i'll be careful here because i'm not going to use the word guarantee um of supply because that's uh, certainly something that um people like to try and try and say so we have overwintering hens we have branched out to several different countries um and we have egg supplies coming from all of those and there'll be um, new new contacts this year that you haven't had previously 
Correct. We made a few extra contacts last year, some that we'll keep with, some that we won't. And um, others uh, we've made this for this coming season. And um, yeah, it's just trying to spread the risk. I think inevitably Bird Flu is going to play a part next year, which I'm sure some people sounds all a bit doom and gloom, but I must be realistic about this. Um, and we are trying to get as mu- as close to a guarantee of some supply as we possibly can. But sadly, mm. sadly, you know, we had, it's well known, we had bird flu in our laying hens last year. Um, and, um, you know, half of those were culled. Uh, so even though we've kept overwintering hens, us, like many others, it's still a huge risk. There's nothing to say they won't get it. Um, and die before you know before we can have the eggs so um, we've done I feel as much as we can and we're still working on it um, to do as best as we can for the customers but um, yeah it's it's a trick it's a tricky time and you know we'll see we're kind of sitting and waiting now Mm, very interesting I just wanted to just before we move on I wanted to pick up on something that you said um, about your overwintered birds that you don't have them under light so that so they they start laying you know, at the at the natural time, do you see that there's a a, a benefit in terms of what hatch rate or quality of birds as a result of that? What's the thinking behind doing that? No, it's it's more so that we don't run our hens in cages, so we run our hens on the floor, um, and they lay in nest boxes. Um, it's it's as natural a way as we think they could be done. You know, traditionally birds in cages are under lights, and obviously with uh, no n- no guaranteed supply off the continent uh if you have birds under lights that is better because you're going to get earlier eggs and you're actually going you're going to get more eggs throughout the season but we just the system that we use wouldn't suit lights and and actually we quite like the fact that it's a bit more natural whether that's wrong or right i don't know but that's how we do it and partridge then i mean if anybody was going to give um a laying flock of partridge go you guys surely would be clued up to try it is there a reason you haven't done that this year yeah i mean the biggest problem was as we're all aware getting enough partridge last year um and then there were those big big decisions to make you know do we keep those partridges back for layers do we put them out on the shoots we had customers begging for them you know what what do you do The, the, the big thing with partridge is a huge investment you know, you're going to have to look for pair boxes, cages, probably light bulbs, as we talked about. You know, this is not just a, a few thousand quid and let's stick some partridges in. If you're going to do it properly, you need a lot of partridges, a lot of cages, a lot of labor, um, and a lot of experience to do it. And um, we decided with everything going on, that's a, a very large financial risk to take. Um, we have done trials with partridges, without cages, without lights, things like that, but um, they tend to lay a bit later. Um, then we need them. So we, for this year, have decided to stick with our and hope with our overseas friends that um, the eggs will come. Yeah, very good. Very good. I, I wanted to touch on something else as well. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about prices yet. Um, I don't know if that fills you with dread, but I've just started to hear a few Shoots and Game Farms rumour that they've been given prices from various different suppliers. Do you have an indication of where the price of eggs and chicks will be going over the next rearing season or um is that is it too early to say just yet uh no no more welcome to talk about it we we have not set any prices ourselves um i think it's tough to set any yet i 
personally am one that likes when we've set a price, I like to stick to it. So this year I'm willing to take orders into our book, but I'm being very honest with people and saying, look, you know, we need to wait till we see the supply and I want to wait so that we get the price right. The only indication I can give you is that I know that certainly the French that we deal with, you're probably looking at about a 30% increase in pricing on last year's prices. Last year's um, original prices, not last the, year's original prices, not not the, the two uh, euros fifty plus thirty percent that you were quoted from, <laughs> yeah, from various, various other places, various other places which will remain nameless. Yeah, so um, yeah, there were um, yes on on the normal prices that we would have started with last season. So if that gives an indication, you know, pheasant poults probably last year originally were starting at four thirty to four fifty. You know, so if you went up thirty percent on that, you'd be you'd be approaching probably six quid. Um, mm. But I already am hearing prices significantly higher, seven seven fifty, day olds around one seventy. Um, I think it's personally too early to commit. I think it's going to be one of those who jumps first. You know, all the game farms will be sitting and waiting to see where we're at. But we're, um, you know, a bit of a plug. But you know, we're going to try and, you know, well, be as fair as possible. Really, we're not. I'm very conscious that that the industry as a whole, we need to be very careful with how and where prices go because I don't want to see people priced out, you know, either your little farm shoots or your commercial shoots because if the price at the start of the chain of the egg goes up drastically, as we saw last year, the knock-on effect on the whole chain is massive, you know, and then all of a sudden we see mm-hmm. people who say, well, actually – you know, I can't afford to go shooting or I'm going to go shooting less. And actually, I think for the sector, I think for the sector, that's a real shame. Mm. Yes. And the last thing we want to get, the last position we want to be in is where um, it becomes, you know, a rich man's sport again, Um, you know, like it was at the start of the century or the previous century, I should say. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think I already know the answer. I don't suppose you guys have started thinking about where your shoots might be priced next year compared to this obviously i'm asking for figures but um exact prices but do you you know are you starting to think about that now or do you wait you're going to wait and see you're keen for a panel aren't you george humble pies, <laughs> well i thinking i did think an invite came earlier on when you said you're not sure how george and i would fare on the humble yeah. pie. we'll have to come and see it <laughs> well we'll you could share a peg we're not that generous um so um yeah um we have had discussions about it preliminary discussions Look, at the end of the day, we have to be realistic. I think sometimes people see these prices, you know, that that us and, and other people would quote um, for this, you know, high bird shooting, so, as it's so-called. Um, but, you know, we as a company, you know, have a very strict ethos that we don't want the shooting to become unaffordable for, you know, a lot of people. You know, we want we want everyone from, you know, your, your, your I mean this affectionately, your average man to your, you know, top, top wealth investor or whatever um to be able to feel like they can come um so i think inevitably things will go up um but we're going to try and control that a lot i think we're going to see big jumps in certain places but we would certainly like to try and hold it as near to where it is this year and i think to be honest with our shoots this year for what we do and comparing them to a lot of others i think they're actually not too bad um the the shoots I if I I don't want to rabble on too much but the shoots I I feel for the most 
are there's this kind of stigma over high bird shooting that you know the higher the birds the more expensive um you know and there are differences we have to put more down because you've got to show more etc cetera, etc cetera, more shots blah 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 but the shoots i worry for most are kind of the ones in the middle that are not necessarily showing yeah. these high birds and this year we've seen a lot of people saying well you know i'm not paying and i mean no disrespect to any of these shoots but you know i'm, I'm not i'm not paying 45 50 quid to go and shoot on flat ground but mm. actually it's cost those guys a lot of money to rear those birds um yeah and if they've put them down at the same time of year as we do then actually the bird is the same we we just have to put slightly more down because of the fact they're high so it's those ones i worry for more mm. than anything um and i think we must because be careful a, because you've got a premium product right so people will that there will always be a, a market for that kind of um you know it's, yeah. know, yeah, it's very generous of you to call us premium but yeah i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> we've got a i'm still a for that we, invitation <laughs> yeah yeah still yeah he's really trying isn't he Dick? um we're um yeah we're very proud of what we produce and um we try our best but I think I would like to think people will always be keen to come. Yeah. But, um, we need to be, we need to be very mindful as an industry and, and not, uh, you know, not be too money grabbing. I don't think. Mm. I, yeah. It, uh, yeah. Really interesting. Right. Okay. So I've got one last proper question with my journalism hat on. Um, and I don't want to bring up painful memories, so I hope you forgive me, but I think our, our listeners would value your advice on this and you're quite well placed. I think to offer some advice. Um, last year, you had some fairly unpleasant negative press. Um, won't go into the details, but like, what advice would you give to a shoot who find themselves at the center of an unjustified uh, PR storm? What could what can you say to anybody who, who finds themselves in that situation? Now, I've just I've just refilled my. Um glass of cider and had a good swig george as you were uh, going i could see which direction you were heading in there um yeah that's my invitation journalist. gone isn't it <laughs> lovely yeah yeah you can forget about humble pie digby's still in with a chance um so um yeah um yeah tough time for us um i think well firstly obviously you would advise you know no shoot to get in any kind of a situation like that um those of us who know us and know what we stand for and know the truth behind what you're referring to will know that it was all a blown up load of rubbish uh should the incident have happened absolutely not the truth behind it of course is actually very mundane um you know and um mistakes happen but it's you know the, the actual truth behind it is 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 nothing to to get het up about um i would advise other people if they ever do find themselves you know shooting is always under attack isn't it um if they ever do find themselves in a similar situation or another situation i mean personally we chose to stay quiet until necessary um i think often the more you try and fight these things the more you give them um publicity and the more you give them publicity uh, the more you give them life so sometimes just keeping quiet is better. You know, I know we, as a shooting community, we're often not very good at fighting our corner publicly, and we've all we all know that. Um, but we, on this particular topic, kept quiet for a while. But then, when the situation became as such, we did make a statement. Uh, that statement was made, and then, in fact, after that, the situation just went away, um, thankfully. Um, and since then, we've had yes, it gets talked about occasionally, but since then it's been fine 
So, I mean, it's up to the individual, really, but I sometimes think fighting fire with fire on subjects like that, just, you know, maybe people who haven't seen it, then they then see it and maybe just try and see if it goes away first. It's all very well at the time thinking, oh, God, it's the end of the world. You know, what on earth has gone on? What are we going to do? You know, everyone hates us. What have we done? You know, et cetera, et cetera. They don't, you know, no one understands. No one takes the time to ask what actually happened. Um, but with everything, uh, you know, time's a great healer. So um, if you need to step in, then do. But if you don't, then just try and keep going, I would say, if that answers your question. No, I think it does very well. What do you think, Diggers? Yeah, very interesting. And I know, I know we spoke <clears throat> probably a few months ago now about just being aware that although what you're doing might not be illegal um, as a shoot and it might be totally justifiable and there might be a reason for doing whatever you're doing, um, always being aware of the fact that someone might have hidden a camera somewhere um, and how does it look for the to the untrained eye, for example. I don't know if you've got, if you can echo that, Will, or whether you've changed anything your end. No, no, I would say, you know, this was very much obviously a one-off and it was a, you know, a mistake, a mistake made by someone and these things happen um you know we're you you it's you can't always keep your eye on everyone all the time you know we're a we're a shareholder in a game processing processing business all our game goes through that why would it not obviously it does you know we're completely ethical on that i would say that though as a shooting community as time goes on now as you said digby we do need to be squeaky clean you know absolutely squeaky clean with everything we do don't ever assume you're not being watched or you're not, or you're just a farm shoot, who cares? Just be squeaky clean. You know, it, we shouldn't have to be saying, let's be squeaky clean because we all should be, you know, and we are. I know it seems you know, funny to say it, but, you know, we are. And this is just one of those one of those unfortunate things. Um, so just everyone be sensible for, you know, for the good of what we do because, you know, we all love it and we don't want to lose it. Yeah, mm. I think we'd all get behind that. Thank you, Will, very much indeed. And so every episode, we're going to finish with the same question, um, which is, Will, if you had the power to change just one thing about shooting and everyone everyone had to comply on pain of death, um, what, what would it be and why? So you could change one thing, everybody has to comply. What's it going to be? I think, do you know what I would change? I would change moaning is what I would change. Go because on. for for me go on here we go yeah <laughs> don't worry i will um <laughs> just try and stop you're me. gonna start moaning <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm gonna start having a moan <laughs> no i would look we all understand in, in shooting there's vast amounts of money spent on it etc cetera, etc cetera. i think with everything that goes on in the world and just everything that shooting is i think we just need to remind ourselves all the time that what we do is a great privilege and to shoot pheasants, partridge, duck, grouse, pigeons, whatever you're shooting. It's a great privilege and we must really enjoy the time we have with it and the time that we're able to do it. You know, we're all lucky enough to have either been born into it or found shooting in a different way. It's a great sport. Um, it's a great hobby, great pastime. Um, so it is upsetting when I think sometimes people occasionally, you know, maybe they've had a bad day or, you know, the weather's wrong or, you know, mo Yes, I understand where money's involved. It's always tricky, isn't it? But I think sometimes we need to not lose sight of the fact of, of what a great thing it is that we do. Um, and we must really try our best to enjoy it and you know see the positives on that. So that's probably what I would say. 
What a fantastic, fantastic answer. Yes, I agree. And, and a really great way, I think, to bring things to a conclusion, don't you, Diggers? Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, very nice. Right, Will, thanks ever so much for joining us today. It's been uh, a really interesting conversation. Hugely appreciate you taking the time to take part. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Will, very much. Hope your third and final day in Dorset goes uh, even better than uh, than the first two. I've got a month of sleepless nights ahead of me. Can't, uh, can't wait. But no, Excellent. thanks, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Right, that's it. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, do get in touch to let us know what you thought. Uh, you can email pod at gunsonpegs.com. Um, please do also get in touch to share your favourite beating noise with us or uh, offer some suggestions for the either-or questions that we can ask our guests. Again, that email address, pod at gunsonpegs.com. Uh, we will be back very soon with another special guest. But until then, stay safe out there. And thanks very much for listening. Thank you.